Hello and welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 1, Episode 5, The Heist. This episode originally aired on November 3rd, 1985. It was directed by Alan Smithy, although Mm. uh, consensus between the internet... Um, and other people we've consulted is that this was another Lee Katzen episode. Okay. Uh, Lee Katzen directed both the uh, episode in Opening Gambit last week, The Gauntlet, um, and the map Opening Gambit. Which is so weird because this isn't... I don't think this is a bad episode. The only conclusion I can come to is that there were one too many blatant James Bond references for whoever was in charge's taste. Yeah. And they were just like, okay, maybe, maybe we could not refer to james bond specifically by name multiple times in the episode and just let it be an homage mm-hmm. as it stands it's it's almost yeah it's very on the nose plagiarism <laughs> at this point um and uh the writer for this episode was james schmierer with a story i guess by uh, yeah. larry alexander and james Schmierer. and then uh the this is the first episode that doesn't actually have an opening no, gambit yeah no opening gambit um, very disappointing just although, right up in the credits although we do get our first sort of cold open situation um which is just uh for those who don't know a cold open is like basically the same thing as an opening gambit only right. we're not comfortable using that term for this because a gambit implies that there's some sort of like a mission being accomplished and a getaway and yeah and everything. A, ga- a gambit is resolved yeah it has nothing to do with the actual story that will the episode will be about where the cold open uh this is one of the first scenes actually maybe in the series that doesn't have macgyver in it at all right that is just setting up the story with other characters that will come to know better and understand exactly what's going on so our cold open uh, just to cover it very quickly um we we have catlin possibly jack catlin he's referred to as jack catlin right. although i'm not 100 percent sure that's his first name um, but we have Catelyn as played by Vernon Wells, mm-hmm. um, and he's bringing in uh, a, a, sh- a shipment of diamonds that have been smuggled from somewhere um, by an accountant. Um, Daniel Sims. Daniel Sims. And he is uh, basically um, backing out on a deal and, and stealing the entire shipment rather than right. uh, just giving taking his share, which I think is a tenth. And then the actual episode is a very James Bond homage um, episode about MacGyver. Um, trying to track down this guy who is a casino owner in the American Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. and uh, this the money that was used to purchase these diamonds as a way of laundering them, I guess. Yeah. I guess the money was originally earmarked for um, starving children in Africa. Yeah, the uh, African Famine Welfare. Right. Well, I'm assuming it's a foundation. Um. So it's MacGyver's job to figure out where these diamonds ended up, and to get the money back. Um to this senator who had earmarked the money for this foundation. Right. Um, and on the way, he's he sort of uh, allies himself with the senator's daughter, Chris Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's basically a face-off between him and Chris and uh, Vernon Wells and his henchman sidekick, uh, Tiffany. Casino, yeah, his casino uh, security. Right. Um, okay, so uh, why don't we go a little bit further in-depth into the cold open? Okay. Well, the, it starts off with a, the cargo plane. Presumably this will be Catelyn's cargo plane because it's used again later. Yeah, and so, it seems like his his part in this diamond smuggling was just to get Sims out of wherever he was correct. to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, presumably he was just coming either from Africa 
or from the States. Yeah. Um, as an accountant, I don't imagine he would be needed in Africa. Yeah. But uh, the money clearly has been laundered from cash because I don't imagine that the senator would be dealing with diamonds as a form of currency for this African welfare. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to try and save African people with diamonds. <laughs> so uh, we can assume that the money was cash and then was converted to diamonds as a means of uh, keeping them from being traced. Yeah. Um, and so he's actually being transported with the diamonds. Um, he arrives at this small airport, and uh, uh, Catelyn is sort of uh, trying to convince him, look, there's nobody after you. Nobody's um, nobody's here. Nobody knows about this. There's mm-hmm. nobody on your tail. And it, at first it seems like he's trying to, to comfort him, but it, it becomes clear that the reason that no one knows exactly where he is 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 even more beneficial to Catelyn than it yeah. is to this guy. It's like, look, I promise you nobody knows you're here because I'm about to kill you and take yeah. all your stuff. 200 pounds, 60 million of diamonds. $60 million worth of diamonds, which um, I guess he was supposed to get $6 million, um, Sims mentions, is yeah. his share. Again, um, this is the 80s. $6 million is, is a sizable amount. Yeah. Um, I think I would ask for more than 10% if I were smuggling the diamonds from one country to another. Uh, I feel 10% is pretty standard. You think that's okay for uh, yeah, you know, the transportation fee? Because later we'll see that Catelyn is upset about $100,000. That's true. So so getting $6 million is probably like a windfall This is the him. 80s, so I guess I guess that's fair. Um, and then Sims uh, sort of, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to cheat you, Catelyn. I, you, you get your $6 million fair and square and... Uh, and Catelyn turns around and he's like, You're an accountant, Sims. Figure it out. <laughs> Were you thinking about this at all? Like, you're here by yourself, surrounded by my people. Yeah. Did you think I just wasn't capable of killing you, maybe? Like, maybe he just thought that, oh, that's not that's something that happens in action movies that yeah. doesn't happen in real life. And so Catelyn kills him, and now he has $60 million worth of diamonds that nobody knows about. And, and really, what was Sims' plan to to do with, you know... Fifty-four million dollars in diamonds. Yeah, in the Virgin Islands. Like, what are you gonna? How are you gonna? Just take them right to Catlin's casino. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you you definitely need at least Catlin further along for your plan. Well, for... maybe he he has another ten percent set for somebody to launder them into cash. Yeah. For him. Uh, but yeah, and I actually I shouldn't say that nobody knows about it because apparently this U.S. senator who was in charge of the money and making sure that it got to its destination before it was intercepted mm. knows exactly what happened he knows daniel sims took all the diamonds he knows i mean he hired sims personally yeah, he it's hired not sims, like, like sims Sim- was like a third party he, but, he was in charge of this money yeah macgyver's reading a newspaper about sims uh you know like he's just like it's showing him in front of like some kind of like cash flow thermometer like saying oh look we reached our goal 60 million yeah and uh you know senator rhodes had trusted him with managing the accounts only and, to have them stolen. Right. And not only does Senator Rhodes know exactly who Daniel Sims is and what he did, but he knows everything about Catelyn, too. Yeah. Like, he seems perfectly aware that I hired Sims, Sims took the money, Catelyn took it from Sims. Well, that, it's not clear if he knows that Sims is dead, actually. Well, I, I don't I don't think that they know whether or not Sims is alive, but they certainly think know that Catelyn has the money. Right. And why, you know, the U.S. Virgin Islands are part of the U.S. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not a state, but they are 
maintained and owned if by the United States. If you're a senator States. and you know someone stole $60 million worth of diamonds and they own real estate yeah. in U.S. property, the They're, process of extraditing them should not be that complicated. Exactly. I, I feel that, you know, obviously they don't really have the hard evidence. They don't. But I think I feel that they have enough suspicion to warrant an investigation of some sort. Sure. But this was all like a side project. This is a senator's passion project. Like he he raised the money. It wasn't taxpayer money. So that prob- maybe is the the kind of loophole for Catlin at least that this isn't tax money. This is privately raised money. You can't bring the government in on this. Right. And it also seems like his daughter had some hand in, in helping the foundation too. Right. Because she did just come from Africa to the Virgin Islands. She's basically trying to do the investigating down. herself. Yeah. So she's she's been in the Virgin Islands for a while trying to put together a file on Catlin and figure out exactly what he's up to. I'm not going to be calling them the Virgin Islands once MacGyver gets there. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> so MacGyver uh, hops on a plane. This, this, by the way, is the second time that he's hired, not necessarily by the government. It seems like the senator is kind of enlisting him privately. Yeah, personal. It's a, this is a personal favor. Yeah. This is not a government contract. Um, and he uh, he's sent to the Virgin Islands um, to meet up with Chris Rhodes and figure out what information she has and then to try and figure out where, where these diamonds ended up. So he lands at the airport, and uh, we see Chris Rhodes holding a sign that just says MacGyver. Mm-hmm. Your name MacGyver? It's amazing. So is mine. Uh, just sort of a little meet-cute thing. And she is overloaded She's... with information that she wants to just yeah, spill she... on a person. And... Yeah, she just totally reveals everything. There's a lot of exposition. This could very easily have been like one of Catelyn's security guards saying, Oh, MacGyver, yeah, I'm, I'm I... MacGyver. And then she would just be like, Oh, well, I'm, I'm investigating these people, and this is everything I know. Um, but she... And her first line is like, oh, I was expecting another ex-FBI agent who, or, with a bunch of ideas that don't work, and she like kind of cuts herself. herself off. But he hasn't said anything yet. She doesn't yeah. know that he's not an FBI agent. Or capable. Yeah, and, and he could he could have a bunch of ideas that don't work, and for some reason she's just <laughs> shooting <laughs> shooting her mouth off right away. I know immediately that your ideas will not work. MacGyver. I can tell by your jacket and your hilarious MacGyver joke. Um, but yeah, she she even takes like a few seconds to even just take him in and understand that there's a person standing in front of her like yeah. before she even spills everything. So they they kind of go and witness Catelyn do some uh, bow staff fighting. Right. He's uh, she she brings him to the casino. Um, she explains that he just showed up with a bunch of money um, and bought this casino uh, with which he continues to make more money. Right. Um, and he's kind of a show off uh, and. We, we should mention here that this episode is going to be very James Bond heavy. Mm-hmm. So we get like the sort of a typical introduction to um, a James Bond villain with uh, Vernon Wells as Catelyn doing like a quarterstaff fight, yeah. which in a James Bond episode, this would be like um, the introduction to the fight would be something that we're going to see James Bond and this person doing later. Right. But this doesn't actually end up happening. This is, this is just a, this is, the, really the only fighting we see from Catelyn in this episode. He's, yeah. he's actually kind of a subdued, like, very confident in his power. Um, right. And he but doesn't have to rely on his physical... He is described as a soldier of fortune, that he was right. previously uh, a military man or mercenary for call, hire. What, the butcher of somewhere? Angola. Angola, they call him the butcher. Right. So, yeah, so that's MacGyver's sort of introduction to, uh, to Catelyn, although he doesn't actually say anything to him at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just it's, this. This is like you know, if we're gonna be making Bond references, this is the the classic undercover get a look at the villain who's who's a public villain. Like 
Christopher Walken in uh, uh, View to a Kill. Yeah. Like, he's very, they know he's the villain, but he's very open and very social, and people are like, oh, you know, he's this crazy rich guy, and we love him. Right. And I think um, part of what, uh, why Vernon Wells was picked is because I, th- I think he actually bears kind of a resemblance to um, uh, the Moonraker villain. Drax. Drax. Hugo Drax. Um, but yeah, he is sort of the, the chin strap beard and the mm. very, like, physically imposing character. You know, accent. Right, yeah. Um, and here outside the casino, actually, she she makes the point that uh, that she's sure he has the diamonds and that he's he's cocky and confident about everything because he knows that they can't touch him. And MacGyver suggests, "What if I were to just go in and take the diamonds from Catlin?" And at this point, she really doesn't even know who MacGyver is or what he does, and so she assumes this is some thief that the senator has contracted, like, yeah. "Oh, you're you're a con man or something." So, but yeah, and then then they move back to um, back to Rose Place, right? Where she's kind of protesting, like we can't just, we're not gonna just. All right, you know, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and she even refers to it like, we can't just pull off a far fetched caper, or <laughs> you know what, let's do it. And it's just admitting, just just so you know, guys, this episode is com- very far fetched. Yeah, Mac- MacGyver doesn't even convince her; she convinces herself. Yeah, she's having a a one person argument about it. Um, although he does, MacGyver does say like, oh, you know, well, he claims he doesn't have the diamonds. Who 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 asked him? <laughs> if yeah. he had the diamonds, by yeah. the way. Was there like a newspaper article where they're like, Catelyn claims he doesn't have <laughs> doesn't stolen have diamonds. Him shrugging on the cover. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and if that's the case, if someone had asked him previously, I would be would, like... Yeah, they would be double safe. Like, Yeah, I would, I would not have them lying around, you know, in a safe still, but... In my own hotel room. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would get them pretty far away from me. Yeah. Uh, so... That's where they come up, you know, they come up with a plan. That's where the act break is into leading them uh, arriving at the casino. Right. Uh, and, you know, MacGyver's pulls up, or he's walking up. I don't remember he pulled up in well, a car. Well, before, before this, we should mention, um, back at Rhodes Place, like, this is where he sort of, like, makes this really bizarrely ignorant for MacGyver's statement of, like, well, what's illegal about stealing diamonds from yeah. one person? And she's like, well, you'd have to break in to his place. That's illegal. Um, there's a whole bunch of different things that are illegal yeah. about that, but then you um, might have to injure some people, right? Um, but then we get to see um, MacGyver take on the sort of James Bond persona, which first happens with the theme of yeah. like we we hear the first three of the famous four notes of uh, James Bond um, score with like a. And then it leaves off the last right. one because they, they don't want to get, yeah, get sued. They don't they don't need uh, John uh, John Barry John Barry on their case. So uh, so then we move to uh, MacGyver in a in a tux mm-hmm. in in a mirror looking looking pretty dapper. Um, he Except for his hair. Yeah, he can't get his <laughs> hair down though. But um, but yeah, and then she even makes the comment like, "Oh, you look like James Bond." And then he says, "I, I feel, feel like, like James Bond." Uh, which I think he's trying to emulate a uh, Sean Connery type yeah. voice. Yeah, not not very good, but not not very well. No, he definitely does his Jack Nicholson uh, impression. <laughs> Jack in the last Nicholson was much better. better. And his his Garfield, I think, is pretty good here. Whether or not that's an intentional Garfield oh, impression yeah, that later. Comes later. Um, but yeah, so then we move to the actual casino infiltration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, so so MacGyver was walking up to the casino, and here comes Rhodes shakily driving a large 
crazy 80s motorcycle. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's those... almost a Vespa. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like a small, but it's clearly a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, and uh, she, she slips by him quietly on the motorcycle. She whispers, I'm in disguise. It's like the most obnoxious line in the whole episode because, yeah. like, don't call attention to the fact that you're in disguise. We just left the same room. I know what you're wearing. Yeah, he had to know that she was coming, right? Yeah, and and telling a person that you're in disguise, like whispering on a motorcycle, is not conducive to communicating with a person. Yeah. First of all, second of all, you're wearing all your protective motorcycle gear over your disguise. So telling me right now serves no purpose because you're going to look completely different when you get into the in casino. In just a few moments, and plus, no one knows who she is. Yeah, like she's, there's no purpose for her to be yeah, in disguise. Because Catelyn, as we'll see later, Catelyn doesn't know her yeah. because he tries to come on to her. So being in disguise, just her clothes are a disguise. Yeah. Just and wearing clothes. Thirdly, when she gets into the casino, she's really not in a disguise. When she says disguise, she just means a dress. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, she looks the exact same as she did before. I mean, she's she's a very pretty lady. Yeah, it's, but um, it's not like she put on like some a fake nose and glasses. Yeah, or no, like, she, looks, she looks like Chris Rhodes, but... Um, but still very, very cute. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she plays the part well of, like, the, the Bond girl type. Yeah. I mean, she's not she's not an expert at this. Yeah. I mean, she, she, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's used to taking care of people in Africa. She's, yeah. not, she's not used to, like, breaking into casinos and things. That's MacGyver territory. Yeah. So as soon as they walk in, uh, immediately a waitress bumps into some woman. Very conveniently for MacGyver. Yeah, it's not planned. It's not a planned thing. And this argument with this woman goes on forever. Yeah, it, it takes like a whole minute to unfold while MacGyver's explaining like, oh, here's what I'm going to do now. Yeah. Get ready for this first MacGyverism. Yeah, it's like he starts making like the, the telling the story about creating his own fishing line. Right. So he, he takes a paperclip, classic MacGyver. Um, but then he did, he pulls out some thread lining from his coat. Which I don't think we've actually seen a paperclip since the first opening gambit, like from the pilot when he deactivates the nuclear oh, yeah, missile. missile. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the paperclip just sticks yeah, it just in there. Yeah, just sticks it in and the missile's dead. But uh, but yeah, so this is actually the only the second appearance of a paperclip in yeah. our five episodes in. And uh, he, so he ties it, like, so he basically makes a little fish hook and string and he hooks it around the zipper of this poor... Yeah. I say this poor woman. She's being very rude to this. She's waitress. being rude, but you, we don't know what kind of day she's had. There's a yeah. there's a woman in a casino. A waitress spills a cocktail all over her, mm-hmm. so her dress is yeah potentially ruined. We we don't. I mean, I don't know we what don't know. fabric it is or whatever. But she seems really upset about it. She demands that the casino be in charge of cleaning it, which I think anyone would, and yeah. I think the casino yeah. probably would have cleaned yeah, it for exactly. her. Yeah, exactly. Just customer service. Um, but then MacGyver decides to compound her frustrations. Yeah, by, with by this humiliating her. Um, so he thinks she's being too rude to the staff at the casino, and he connects this paperclip to the zipper on the back of her dress. So, because he needs a distraction, mm-hmm. he doesn't really. <laughs> I'll, I'll argue later. He doesn't need a distraction. Yeah. But uh, he uh, he hooks this paperclip onto her zipper so that when she's walking away, he can step on a string that's tied to the paperclip. Right. And then it will. Unzip directly down. Yeah, it down. peels her like a banana. Yeah, it, it's some somehow the string pulls the zipper down instead of just away from her. Like it would just yank the head off of the zipper. Yeah, I, I, I think it would just probably break the, break the paperclip. Yeah, or the string. That's well, true. All probably. those other things would give before the zipper. Yeah. But then the thing she's wearing underneath isn't revealing. Yeah. It's pretty much what would be a modern dress now. Yeah. She's just wearing a second cocktail dress in case yeah. of emergency. She, she's more embarrassed that she wanted to show it off later. Right. And the main purpose of this distraction is that. He needs to grab some dice off of a table because he needs to make. He he decided that 
the only way he's going to be able to figure out where these diamonds are is by investigating the vaults of the casino. Right. The only way he can get into the vaults is if he's invited, uh, which he would only be invited if he had a bunch of money and chips. So he decides he's going to cheat at a table. So he needs these dice. Um, so he takes the dice off of a table and he runs into the bathroom mm-hmm. where he sprinkles some kind of a powder on a yeah, shoe it's like, polisher. It's like a powder, like an abrasive powdered soap, I'm imagining. Yeah. Like he gets it, or, or wouldn't be talcum powder in a bathroom with her? I don't know. But, uh... Maybe. It's, People it, are shaving in there. It's it's some kind of... Well, he, he needs something abrasive, because, like, the shiner right. obviously would just shine the dice. So he needs right. this to, like, to be more like sandpaper, so it actually, like, scratches so the dice. So he sprinkles it on the shoe polish... Uh, machine thing and then he kind of grinds down the edges of the dice until they're kind of weighted so that it's a three and a four basically mm-hmm. so that he can just keep rolling sevens um, but uh, we were discussing the fact that um, he just took dice off of a table that was in play yeah. like the whole point of the distraction was so that people would look away from the table for a second and he takes his time carving these dice down like What's been going on back at the table where the dice suddenly disappeared? Yeah, people notice that casinos notice stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, and for that matter, if why why wouldn't he just bring his own dice that he had weighted previously? Well, I would I would argue to match the casino dice. But then he has a pair of fresh dice later. I, I would I guess he must have grabbed two sets of dice. I'm just we don't see him taking any more dice. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. It's possible that he's he's. Oh, you know what? It, you know what it is. I already solved it. Okay. So he's got his weighted dice. So he goes to the crap table and they give him the real dice and then he switches them out. So that's where he gets the second set. So because he has to switch back the ones that he took off the table in the first place. Yeah. So he has to switch out their non-loaded dice for his. So So the first set of dice that he steals, he never returns. Correct. So that table's dice just disappear. Disappear, which they would notice. They would definitely notice, and and Catelyn would be on the lookout for someone that's suddenly doing really well. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why he's on the lookout. Yeah, he, he, he does he's defi- catch on pretty quick. Yeah, he's definitely suspicious of this guy winning, and uh, I think he even calls he even calls it the, that he rolled it six times. He rolled seven six times, which means he's been watching the entire time. Yeah. So yeah, so he's uh, he sits down to a craps table, which is not necessarily a a, a bond staple. That's that's. I mean, Bond is normally uh, Baccarat. Yeah, Baccarat. Or, or the Craig Bond is, is sort of a Texas Hold'em because Craig can't figure out Baccarat. I mean, nobody can. The whole it, the whole plot of the first Casino Royale was explaining how to play Baccarat. Yeah, it, it's... Uh, you have to get nine. It's, yeah. ba- it's basically, you get two cards, they have to equal nine, or be- you have to beat the other person's yeah, nine. It's, it's very similar to Blackjack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so this is craps, which is a lot more chance. I have no idea how to play craps, by the way. Oh, I I played a lot of craps on like the Vegas stakes for Super Nintendo. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was that was my go-to. That was it. That and roulette, but um, but yeah. So craps basically, it's it's a lot like roulette. You know, you you place your bets on what you think if it's going to be like anywhere between rolling a two and a twelve, and there's odd and even, and mm. and seven is like the one that. It's, seven, the, it's, it's most, most often. Yeah, it's most often so. Um, but you're not going to hit it six times in a row. Um, but so MacGyver just keeps putting everything on seven because that's, I mean, that's a casino thing. Like yeah, seven, seven is Come very, on sevens, yeah. yeah. Um, so he keeps betting seven and letting it ride and letting it ride, and he's basically doubling it every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and these dice are weighted to land on three and four every time, so there's no chance really being taken. That's the other difference between MacGyver and James Bond is that James Bond is actually 
winning when he's winning. Right. Um, but again, Texas Hold'em is a game where you can kind of strategize and bluff, where Baccarat is just whatever you're dealt. It's, there's yeah. no skill in Baccarat. Which is why, uh, at least in, in the novel and in the original Casino Royales, James Bond loses right away. Like, he's completely out of money, and he wouldn't have anything unless Felix Leiter came and, like, slipped him an envelope with mm-hmm. another couple thousand dollars. Um, but back to MacGyver. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're we're going to probably cover a lot of James Bond territory it, in this it, episode. It's a, it's a Bond-laden episode. Yeah. Because while he's winning, Catelyn asks Tiffany, his uh, henchwoman, uh, yeah, to... figure out who this is. Yeah, I want to know who this is. <laughs> I love... Because as she's walking over to MacGyver, Catelyn just gives, like, this... The satisfied nod, like, He's like yeah, I did my job. I gave this woman an order. Things are going pretty good today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and it all. It also uh, just just before that, it feels like they're kind of trying to add to his villainy by having her saying, "Oh, I have today's um, profit margins to report." Like, yeah. like you made a bunch of money today, sir. Do you want to count your money? <laughs> go swim in like, it like Scrooge McDuck. Go, go talk to this guy. Figure out who he is. And so she approaches MacGyver and says, "Oh, so." what's your name or just very blatantly yeah. like who are you and uh and he throws off a bond james bond <laughs> and and at, when he first says bond she's like her eyes go wide like mm. oh your name is bond and then he says james bond and then they, it sort of fades to like oh you're like a corny tourist <laughs> jerk mm. yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> well and he had uh, gotten a drink a virgin mary Right, so a Bloody Mary, presumably without alcohol. Right, which is the continuing the the uh, when he explained to the gypsy woman that he doesn't he doesn't drink, mm-hmm. um, but he you does. kind of thought that was going to be a MacGyver thing, like just that one of his character descriptions is that he doesn't drink, and and I'm not sure if here he got the virgin because it would be cloudier than if it were mm. mixed with an alcohol that would make it more transparent. Right. Um, but later on in the episode, he does actually drink alcohol. So it's, yeah. it's not just because he's sober. Yeah. It's, and I think he drank the cognac with the gypsy with, uh, well, she put it on his lips and kissed him. I think, oh, okay. I don't know if he actually took a sip. Maybe he did. I don't remember. But, uh, but it, it, I think it's just the, just the point is that he's not like a casual drinker. Right. Like he, he, if he has an option, he's going to take something else. Yeah. Um, so he gets his his uh, Virgin Bloody Mary, and uh, he sits down to the table and starts winning. Um, at this point, he's already switched out the dice on the table for his loaded dice, so he has the dice from the table in his pocket. Correct. Um, and eventually, Catelyn gets tired of watching this guy just keep taking all of his money and decides, I'm going to start watching this firsthand. So he, he comes to the table um, just as MacGyver's reaching the, the betting limit of the mm. table, um, and the, the croupier says this is our limit yeah. but we can't we can't go any higher and uh this time it's it's uh catlin saying let it ride um saying you know i'm gonna allow it for this for this one case um so he he rolls another seven which ends up being the last one because at this yeah. point macgyver's like okay i got his attention <laughs> I don't yeah need exactly any, any more trouble than this and so uh, that so he, he catlin says how about one more throw right because like he needs he just wants absolute proof yeah. So MacGyver takes the dice like he's making the decision that he, whether or not he's going to throw. And at this he point, he's switch. switching. Yeah, with he the makes, dice in makes his a pocket. switch and goes nah, and he, so he throws the dice. So Catelyn immediately snatches up yeah. what he believes to be the loaded dice, while MacGyver drops, drops the loaded dice into his drink in right. case he gets accosted and they check his pockets. Exactly. Um, and at this point, he's racked up I think one hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah. Again, um, not that much money, 
but in the 80s you could buy a sweet houseboat in vancouver for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars <laughs> um that's actually selling for a lot less than that right now yeah <laughs> i think it's kind of a mess but um yeah so macgyver's got one hundred and thirty thousand dollars and he and super cocky goes up to Catelyn and says look i want a lot of your money yeah um calls him I, jack yeah look jack i got a bunch of your money and i want a safe place to put it uh, i'm not comfortable walking around with all of this and uh just just according to plan he's invited to um to Callan's uh, vault. vault the main vault of the casino um which is a very small vault yeah it's well although it's a very small casino yeah I I, at the most like we see like one of each game yeah it's 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 kind of like the size of an arcade almost it's mm. not it's not a huge casino um despite what it looks like from the outside outside yeah it's mostly hotel <laughs> yeah it's 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 a hotel and it just happens to have a casino room um but yeah, so uh, MacGyver gets invited into this vault, somehow can determine immediately that there's not 200 pounds of diamonds in this vault. There, um, there's no other secret panels or, yeah, there's, there's or secure no lock boxes or anything like yeah. that. It's just an open room. So uh, he drops off his, his uh, money there, and as he's being escorted out of the vault, uh, kind of uh, gets caught. Um, yeah. Weirdly sloppy for MacGyver. But uh, he left the loaded dice in the drink at the table. Right. He didn't and then like. As the ice melted, I guess the drink became transparent, and they noticed that there were dice sitting in it. Or yeah, it, it, so someone someone spotted it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, so Catelyn kind of tosses the the dice out on a on a little platter. Tray. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and they, it's a seven again, which I wonder how many takes that took. But uh, <laughs> so he rolls the seven again, um, and. Uh, yeah, so MacGyver's basically caught, and they decide they're going to start like escorting him and interrogating him for mm-hmm. for stealing from the casino. And immediately, uh, yeah, Chris Rhodes, Rhodes kind just, of just jumps on their henchman and yeah, pretends she, like they crashed into yeah, her. Yeah, she just lobs herself right out. It's actually a really interesting move because she almost she clotheslines like the two guys at once, and as then MacGyver she, just kind of falling back. Yeah, and then MacGyver leapfrogs over their backs. Yeah, and makes a run for it. Yeah. Uh, and we cut to him in like the in the the back rooms of the the casino, the hotel floors. Right. And uh, police uh, police or security come from one direction, and he runs down and secures a door with a cord from a floor buffer. Right. So they can't so they can't fall. They around. can't get in and chase him. Um, but uh, another group of security heads him off in the kitchen, and he hides behind like this. It's like a mobile bar. It's like a on wheels. Right. And um, it has um, like some CO two. Yeah, it has some the CO two cartridges in the bottom, like these big tanks. And uh, he pulls out one of the tanks because it's pr- probably pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, and then he basically drops it on the nozzles of the other two tanks to break them off, mm-hmm. thus turning this this uh, mobile bar into like a, a rocket powered yeah. bar. And it's just firing down the hallway until it crashes into these two guards right as they come around the the corner for him and he's able to make his escape right um, I'd, be, so, I'd be scared to death of like hitting those tanks with those nozzles shooting off like a bullet yeah like just this and like hitting you in the legs or the shins or something oh uh, we just there was um there was a mythbusters where they they cracked the head off of a tank and it fired through a cinder block wall no oh, like geez. that's how strong those things can yeah. be depending on the pressure of the tank um but yeah so he he comes running down this hill right as chris is rolling up on her little motor motorcycle yeah. motor scooter type thing um and he hops on the back and she says so how'd it go you, the diamonds aren't in the vault so we're gonna have to to check elsewhere um which chris rhodes uh, has mentioned previously that there's a second vault that they could potentially be in up in catlin's actual room mm-hmm. 
um, in the casino. So we, I think, cut to the next morning. Right. And this is where I feel like MacGyver's sort of making a... <laughs> it, it sounds very garfield to mm-hmm. me. You can, you can decide for yourselves, listeners, but... Uh, uh, she tries to wake him up um, by by pointing out how can how can you sleep? And he said, "Usually it's no problem." But it's very like Garfield animated Garfield. Yeah, it's it's definitely the it sounds very Lorenzo music to me. <laughs> that's how you pronounce it, right? Music. Uh, that's how I've heard it pronounced. That's yeah. how they pronounce it on Rick and Morty. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. They say it out loud in Rick and yeah. Morty. Yeah. <laughs> what what is the context of them saying Lorenzo music out loud? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're watching interdimensional TV, and they come up to this show called Gazorpazorp Field, and it's just basically Garfield, but it's with aliens, and and they're like, uh, and uh, Morty says that, that sounds like Bill Murray. Is that Bill Murray? Rick's all actually that's uh, Lorenzo Music. In this universe, he's still alive. They're all oh. it's like, which is funny because uh, Bill Murray then played Garfield in the movie. It's like oh, and the same thing happened in this universe. I don't know Morty. I don't know if I answer to everything. <laughs> Which is funny because they actually, uh, Lorenzo Music did uh, Venkman's voice on yeah, the, the animated Ghostbusters for a while. Um, did uh, Was Dave Coulier, did he replace Lorenzo Music or did he do Venkman's voice before Lorenzo Music? I'm not sure. Yeah, I know Arsenio Hall, Hall was did. Ernie Hudson. Yeah. Yeah. Winston Zeddemore. Anyway, <laughs> that back, back to the episode. Eight. Yeah, back to MacGyver, is it? <laughs> is that what podcasts we're doing? Okay. So uh, their new plan is to gain access to the suite, which is much harder than just getting a look in the vault now. Yeah. Because it's going to involve a series of timed distractions in the casino because what MacGyver has said that his plan will be very noisy and public and he needs people distracted. And really, all they know about the the vault in the suite is that there is a vault. They, yeah. they have no idea what it actually will take to get into it at exactly. this point. MacGyver's just going to have to figure it out. Right. And he's confident it'll only take him exactly this much time to mm-hmm. figure out how to get in there. Um, so uh, his first order of business is to head up to that room and mm-hmm. get into it while she's sort of laying the groundwork for a riot to break right. out. Um, he, he's put he's taken a magnet out of a phone and put it in her shoe right to to aid in interfering with the metal uh, roulette ball right and then uh, what else did he do oh he took out he pried out the pearl in her ring yeah he just takes a <laughs> ring out of her drawer and just pops the pearl out of it it's a black pearl yeah it's like pops and you hear it rolling away and you, you see it kind of out of focus in the background just kind of roll off a desk and it's just <laughs> like that was someone's jewelry and like she's not upset about it at all yeah um, he puts it on her finger backwards, mm-hmm. she, and she immediately assumes it's to scratch someone with. No, but, a little um, foreshadowing. Yeah, but uh, but he explains that the four prongs that we're holding the pearl in will look like some kind of a marking mm-hmm. to punch into the cart so that she can punch it into the card and then accuse the casino of marking the cart. Right. Which, that would be the most like blatant, obvious marking yeah, system in yeah, the world. Like no casino can't... would be dumb enough to try and pull that off on people. Exactly. Is there anything else in, in as far as his preparing her for... Not preparing her. Once he gets inside, he starts rigging up some other stuff that he had brought with him. He calls attention to the... He brought a mirror from her compact. Right. Uh, and then he has a, like a coat hanger. And he's making this really elaborate camera distraction for the what, what, what Rhodes refers to as the spy camera. 
right. in the hallway, which is this gigantic camera. Yeah, it, it looks like a, a beta camera. Like, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it doesn't even rotate the full 180 degrees to like scan the entire hallway. Yeah. It doesn't even look like it covers 90 degrees from straight out to the right. Well, and it's angled up so high. Yeah, it's almost touching the ceiling the way mm. the way it's angled, but um, it it barely rotates enough. I mean, it's enough that MacGyver can comfortably sneak up to the door without ever being on the camera exactly which totally defeats the purpose of a camera right um it really should be two fixed cameras pointing down opposite ends of the hallway because his room is in the middle of the hallway it should be yeah. the easiest possible thing to keep on camera and and his room really shouldn't be amongst other hotel rooms yeah like, he should, he, like you said he should have his own floor yeah exactly you you have a penthouse suite that's private yeah, this is your casino why don't you have like a whole floor for yourself he's coming down the hallway and there's like people dragging luggage bins and he's got to step out of the way which by the way it is very clearly in the middle of the hall yeah where when chris was showing him from a photograph of the outside of the building Uh like the most like improbably useful photograph it's like straight up up the building and she's like this is his suite and she circles the corner of the, the top corner of the building getting like four different floors from the yeah. perspective having compressed yeah, all have, the floors into one image. Yeah, you have no idea which floor it's actually on. She just says, this is his, like it, like she's being helpful. But she's clearly pointing at a corner, and yeah. it's not in a corner. Unless this is a much bigger room than we see yeah. when he moves inside. Well, he converted the rest of the room into vault. Yeah, the whole rest of it is the vault. Uh, so he, he rigs up this coat hanger mirror distraction. He, he, he slips the coat hanger around the top of the camera, and then the mirror's up against the lens. So the camera's just seeing a picture of the lens. Yeah. And, I mean, you did say something earlier about uh, that this was actually just a distraction to keep them from looking at her on the casino cameras. That's that's all I can figure, because I don't know why else he would want to draw the guard's attention. Right. And this isn't a good way, like, I don't know, it feels like he could have, he has tape. He could have covered up the camera. He could have yeah. done other things that would have drawn them out to it. But maybe the problem would have been that anything else that he did to like incapacitate the camera would have made it very clear that someone's trying to distract right. them. But by putting the mirror up in front of it and reflecting like the image, it, w- it would look like some sort of an aberration. Like there was a problem. Like the lens would, is broken. Yeah, or... some kind of a technical issue. Yeah. So they come out to inspect the camera. Um, and by this time... MacGyver is is in the room. Yeah, he he has he has picked the lock and gotten into the room into the the vestibule I would call it of the room. Sure. Which is surrounded by uh, like a metal fancy kind of gaudy like golden cage. mesh cage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's only thing that's inside this vestibule is one chair and this uh, weird fiber optic fiber lighting. optic thing and a, yeah. and a cigar ashtray. Uh, it's it's just sort of like an art piece like fiber optic thing. It's it's spinning and it's got like different colored lights yeah. being projected through a fiber optic. Yeah, it's case. the kind of thing you get at like Spencer's gifts. Sure. Yeah, some cheesy thing. So the the first guard comes down to check on the camera. By now when MacGyver slipped into the door, he actually pulled his whole like mirror harness off of the camera. Yeah. And the other guard did decided not to just tell him immediately over the radio. Oh, that is, it, it stopped. It's fine. It's all gone now. Um so he gets there, he says, it looks fine. The guy says, yeah, it looks fine from up here, too. Come on back. So now MacGyver's inside. Yeah. And uh, the guards have been successfully distracted from Chris Rhodes using her magnet toe. Well, well she hasn't even done that yet. That's the oh, crazy that's thing. She's. It cuts to her back down at the table, and Catelyn comes in uh, and, and kind oh, of— Oh, right, because she's, she's losing on purpose kind of at the beginning. Yeah, and he sees her and kind of goes, oh, you know, here's my catch of the day. 
Um, yeah. And goes over and he says, can I get you anything? And, he, and she says, oh, a little luck. And somewhere in the casino, Tiffany's just steaming. Yeah. Because she's, she's had her eye on Callan for a while. I, think. I guess. She couldn't. She's just, just not enough. Yeah. But um, I guess that I, I, the only thing I can figure is that this is supposed to be a moment of tension. Like, uh-oh. Like, he's not supposed to be there, so she can mess up the game. Right. But now he's hovering over her shoulder. But it, it doesn't play well enough. It doesn't play like, oh, no, this is this is bad. Yeah, it plays kind of like this is helping us out because we're distracting him, too, yeah. in addition to being able to pull off everything. Exactly. Now. And and he cheats at the game to show her that he's in charge. Yeah. Because, like, he says, oh, it looks like your luck's changing, you know. Yeah. Um, and then even the guy at the end of the table is like, how about bring a little luck this way, Callan? Good luck is with the lady tonight. Yeah. And uh, it's it's clear that she's already starting to get on the nerves of the other people because not only is she suddenly she's winning, mm-hmm. but she has clearly she has the affection of the casino owner, right? And so everyone at the table is just like, oh, this this person is like totally cheating. Like mm-hmm. he's just letting her win because he wants to get with her. And yeah, this is I've what is that guy lost like thirty thousand dollars already? Yeah, exactly. He's been sitting at the same table. He lost thirty thousand dollars in the span of like an hour. You just leave the table, man. And this is all. This has to be after midnight, right? Because well, two ten a.m. is the, yeah, the is the countdown. He he told her specifically to to kick this riot off at two ten a.m. on the dot. Yeah. Because well, we, but that's he set up a timer that's going to um, shut the power down. Right. At two ten. Yeah, he rigged an alarm clock and has the two wires. <laughs> the the panels in the utility room said like hotel and casino. Yeah. And then he just crossed the wires over on top of each other yeah. and got them attached to this clock. So presumably whatever's going to happen is going to yeah, hit him It's going to shut everything down. Um, so at, at 210 on the dot, she needs to be – so this guy's here at midnight and he's mm-hmm. lost $30,000. And he's he's getting a little hot under the collar because yeah. this lady's taking all of his money. But uh, back up in the room, right? MacGyver encounters his first obstacle, which is uh, the – they're light beams. I yeah, call, like, they're not like, laser not lasers. Beams. Yeah, but they're it's which just, is weird, actually. Yeah, it's just, yeah, but uh, I guess it's just like a photosensitive panel. Yeah, that's uh, waiting for light. But they're definitely not lasers. Yeah. Uh, so that's when he like looks at the fiber optic thing. Gets this like, oh, fiber optics. I can re. It, there's no voiceover, but like he, his thought process is yeah. that he's going to redirect the light with the with these tubes, which would conceivably work, but. You'd have to be inserting them like in Together. both ends at the exact same time. Yeah. And any, any like even a couple milliseconds would be enough to set off any kind of alarm. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or at least like be angling the one end of the tube at the it. sensor. Yeah, yeah. Like so, j- you may, may not plug them in, but at least like be ready to. And also the benefit of the having circuit. such a thick beam of light. Is that he would he would be able to block half of it and still be getting the light through? Yeah, exactly. Um, but he doesn't really take advantage of that. He he just jams one end of this fiber optic cable that he took off of this art piece mm-hmm. into one end of this light beam, and then he takes his time pointing the other end into the opposite side. Yeah. But the second he gets it connected, the whole thing lights up. Which is cool. Well, shouldn't it have lit up right when the first end went in? It shouldn't light up at all. Because That's true. a fiber optic cable doesn't light up that way. It only because yeah. it, it, if you looked at the device that was that yeah, was it, the, dangling, the, it's just the, the tips. Yeah, the, the outside isn't actually yeah, glowing. The, yeah, the whole principle of fiber optic cable is that the light is caught inside the tube and only comes out at the ends. Yeah, it's all bounced and reflected. But it inside. looks really neat. Yeah, it's great, great effect. And it gives him the ability to sort of bend the light upward yeah. because it's still traveling through this tube to to complete the circuit, so to speak. Um, 
but he doesn't. He I thought maybe he'd put another one on the bottom to bend it downward. No, he, but he, he just, just steps, steps over the bottom one. Yeah. Um, but he's able to fit between them now. I think he could possibly have fit between them before, but it's yeah. a lot easier now. Yeah, like he he, he could have been, made very deliberate hand and leg movements, and I think gotten through. But yeah. this this would probably be a better way because uh, he may have had to escape in a hurry or going back into the hallway. Sure, and he wouldn't be able to crawl out like that. Yeah. Um, so now he's in the room. Um, he's trying to figure out how this safe opens up. Yeah, because he, he finds it right away, but there's no like combination. There's no lock. There's just a weird little control panel that has colored lights on it. Right, and he sort of like touches it, and the and the door just the door opens. It's not un, it's not locked. The yeah. door to the vault opens, but then on the other side of it is this reinforced steel door that he can't get through. Mm-hmm. So he looks at it for a while, kind of inspects it, figures there. I'm not going to figure this out on my own. I need to somehow set something off in here so that they come and check the safe. Yeah, so I can see how it's opened. Yeah. So I'm assuming what his next step was to just kick that fiber optic cable out of the door. Yeah. Like out of out of the cage wall. But then um, he lets go he's like he's got a bird in there yeah. of some kind. So he he opens the this bird cage um, and then sets off an alarm. Maybe he just slipped his arm through one of the beams. I'm sure. I'm sure he set the beam off yeah. intentionally, but then just made it appear that the bird yeah. had set it off. And uh, luckily for him, there are no cameras inside the room. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, just outside. Just, just outside, barely um, outside. Because the guys really like checking the room in person. They don't like. They don't like having the ability to just look on a screen. Cause yeah, you can't trust a screen. Sometimes it's, you're just looking at somebody's compact mirror. Yeah, you know, you know what? I'm actually behind that. I'm behind going up and checking the room each time an alarm goes uh, you, off. Honestly, you should. The too, yeah. too often we've been burned by people just looping the feed. <laughs> you know. You seen um, the movies? You know how it's done. We know. We know how this works. Hack the Sips, Hack the Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> hack the planet. Um. So yeah. So they go up to check the room. Uh, MacGyver ducks into a closet that mm-hmm. comfortably fits a whole person that yeah. they never bother to check. Um, because when they get in, the bird is out of the cage. Yeah. <laughs> um, the best line, too. Yeah, he like he he walks into the room with the guards. Like inexplicably, they brought they brought Catelyn with them. Yeah, which I I think ordinarily they would check it themselves in case someone was armed up there. But but they, for the plot, they needed Catelyn away from the table. Right. So um, he's he's still with with Chris at the table. They bring him up to the room. Uh, he walks in and he says, "Which one of you idiots left the bird cage open?" <laughs> and uh and uh so he assumes that this someone left this cage open that wasn't him like mm-hmm. someone was just wandering around in his room that wasn't him um left the cage open and the bird flew through one of these light beams yeah um and set off the alarm so he puts the bird back in the cage and kind of offhand oh well i'm here i might as well check and make sure that i still have okay. 60 million dollars worth of diamonds in my vault just just like to look at it now and then um which I mean, if I had sixty million dollars worth of diamonds, I'd probably do that every once in a while too. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of want to run my hand through it, but I think it would hurt. Are they that sharp? They're uncut. It'd be like sticking your hand in a Lego box. It's just like, it's like, oh. Well, I think this would hurt more than that because I think diamonds <laughs> actually cut Legos. I think they're that hard. <laughs> Lego, Legos are pretty sharp. I don't know if you ever stepped on one. <laughs> I, I have not. I've lucked out so far in my parenting. I haven't stepped on any Legos yet. Um, but but uh, we see the. The automatic, quote unquote, automatic door is open uh, for the vault. Right. He so um, MacGyver being in the closet, 
completely defeats the purpose of watching them get into the vault because he has no idea how they're getting into it. He doesn't yeah. know what if it's a combination or how it works. But luckily for MacGyver, it happens to be an auditory signal that mm-hmm. opens this door. So he's listening enough to to hear the four notes that that unlock this right. this uh, the reinforced door behind the regular door. And he's got a control. You know, Catelyn has a control panel on him that produces the notes on yeah. demand. Um, in the sequence. Because he doesn't have perfect pitch, so he needs this little thing. Yeah. Um, so the door opens, and then uh, we immediately move. The, the camera is now inside this vault, which just looks like a it's just a room. room. Yeah. yeah, it's the next room over. Um, and the entertainment center <laughs> has been replaced with um, this vault that all unlocks and all the doors open and swings doors open. come out on their own and the swings... second you get the combination right. Yeah, and, it, and it, it swings open into the door, so Catelyn has to actually push the door closed again yeah. in order to get into the room. And there are very clear strings in this shot yeah. that, are, that are pulling all the doors and drawers open um, as, as the combination is reached. But so he walks in and he you know, pulls out a bag of diamonds, looks at it, okay, checks out everything's still here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, Let's not check the bathroom or this closet. closet yeah. Just head back downstairs. We're, um, we're positive at this point that it was just the bird. Yeah, because if there were a person in here, my diamonds probably wouldn't still be here. Unless the person didn't know the four-note combination. <laughs> yeah. Which, why would they? Um, but so he leaves with his guards, and now MacGyver knows these four notes mm-hmm. will open this door. So he sits down um, at the, the table near the door sets out four glasses and you pointed out yeah the, the, the he gets the four wine bo- the, four, the wine bottle and the four glasses from the bathroom <laughs> yeah like like catlin just like occasionally he can't even bother to get up off the toilet to get a glass <laughs> of wine and so uh it's all in the bathroom for him um since the, there doesn't seem to be a kitchen yeah not even a kitchenette this yeah, is the, the worst penthouse ever <laughs> <laughs> well he converted half of it to vault yeah so like the sleep, he sleeps in the vault. It would appear. Yeah, it does kind of seem like that. It seems like the bed is in there. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case, but, um, and you can't sleep unless like all of your drawers and doors are open. <laughs> it's the only way to get in there. Um, but yeah, so MacGyver sits down and he basically pours himself four glasses of wine, um, intending to do that the old finger around the yeah. rim trick to to conjure up the notes that he heard from inside the closet mm-hmm. to open this door. Um, and all the while, the bird is kind of coaxing him along, like like chirping. Oh, you're a little bit, you're a little bit low on that one. And and uh, the last the last glass is an octave high, which it seems like if you have the right note, you have the right note. I don't know that the octave matters. Oh well, yeah, much. the octave matters. I guess I guess this door is very fickle. Yeah. Um, but uh, so the bird kind of sings a the the same note one octave down, and MacGyver kind of agrees with him like oh yeah you know what you're right this one is an octave high and he mm-hmm. takes a big sip which is the first time I, I recall we see him imbibing any alcohol yeah it's and he, he's it's a hearty sip yeah and it's in the i mean it works as the joke anyway that that it's like oh look here's my guy maybe that was like drawing the line like maybe somebody behind the scenes was was like sober and wanted MacGyver to be sober and they got in a big fight about this mm. and then he took his name off of directing the episode. <laughs> oh. Wow, that god, um, that that actually kind of makes sense. Maybe I'm taking it way too deep. MacGyver wouldn't drink. No. I don't no, want to be look, a part okay, of this. Okay, you know what? Alan did this one. Alan <laughs> did this one too, okay? This is Alan's second outing. <laughs> Cuz uh Gerald Friedman didn't want his name on the pilot, so. Um but yeah, so he takes a big sip of the of the wine and it's an octave lower. He he um Kane's entrance. Yeah, he he opens up the door, and uh, 
and he gets into where all the diamonds are. And then this is where the plan gets way more complicated than I think it needed to be. Yeah, because now Rhodes is getting the riot going. Right. She's She's got the magnet in the tip of her shoe, and she starts putting it up by the roulette table, which causes the ball to jump. Which, right. Which angers... The guy that already lost $30,000 yeah. is, is suddenly losing more because he had finally won and recouped some of his losses, and mm-hmm. then the ball hops out of where he put his bet. Yeah. Um, and then, so she casually gets up and moves to a to the blackjack table which the, could have been interpreted by the other people there as like this guy's scaring me how angry he's getting so I'm yeah yeah um, i'm done so she gets up and leaves sits down next to another guy and immediately moves forward with the punching marks in the cards yeah. to like call out the dealer and meanwhile macgyver upstairs now has 200 pounds of diamonds that he needs to get out mm-hmm. a rain gutter that did not appear in in the photos the photograph of the outside of the casino is suddenly there and he uses another lighting fixture um, which looks like just a bunch of, uh, basically a bunch of different funneling tools glued together. Yeah. Um, and he uses one of them as a funnel um, to basically feed these diamonds down the rain gutter like like it's a laundry chute sort of mm-hmm. to send the diamonds down to the first floor. Now, in, now this is when the timer finally goes off, right. bringing the riot to a head. Yeah. And uh, people are just grabbing chips off of tables, knocking tables over. Yeah, the, the, it causes the slot machine to go haywire. I thought uh, the slot machine went haywire because she put the magnet behind it. Well, I, she puts the magnet behind it, but she does that before the power goes out. And it wasn't until the power goes out that it starts going nuts. That's true. So I don't know if maybe that was part of it. Was okay. was make to make the slot go, or if she was just trying to dispose of it so that she wouldn't get caught with the magnet. That's what I feel it was more about. Yeah, because um, she has to do it right away because Catelyn comes up to her and says, "Hey, would you would you mind waiting while I deal with this chaos? I got a bottle of wine yeah. up in my room," <laughs> which would be so unfortunate when he gets up there and finds out the it's wine. Like, not only do I not have my diamonds, but the wine's gone. <laughs> yes, I drank all my. My wine. bird drank all my wine. I hope MacGyver <laughs> opened the cage again to make it look like the bird drank all the wine and ate all his diamonds god oh this crappy bird there's like a 200 pound bird in his cage uh, but um whichever uh, uh prop guy was in charge of making this slot machine look like it hit a jackpot did a terrible job yeah <laughs> it doesn't like, look like it's feeding the, the tokens out it just kind of spills all in yeah one it's like 20 dollars and quarters and it just falls out and nothing more comes out of it yeah and, and the sign says still nine people crowd around it to scoop it up off the ground immediately yeah and the sign says world's largest jackpot, yeah. which I question. Like, I, I don't think so. Um, so meanwhile, uh, Chris is uh, running outside to collect the actual world's largest jackpot. Yeah. Um, the slot machine that will actually pay off. Yeah. And it's a much more convincing feed because <laughs> yeah. they're actually continuously pouring out of this rain gutter. Well, and, and she gets there just in the nick of time. Right. Like, she, she has a car parked right next to where the rain gutter empties out. She pops the trunk. And then snaps on this like this bridge. additional bridge, yeah. Because yeah. then, because she's kind of like hand guiding them, yeah. Because, uh, I yeah, I would be worried too. Like like if like them like getting clogged up at a point, you know, if they tumble sure, down yeah. just right. And there's like, just or there's just a bunch of leaves in the rain gutter and <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even just, think it about it, like other stuff even in go the gutter. All the way down. But um, but yeah, everything comes out. Or it looks like everything comes out yeah. okay. Um, I, you know what concerned me was that she wouldn't know when all the diamonds had gone through. Oh, when he was done. Cause because maybe he's switching bags. Or yeah. Something. There, there had to be, there had to be some kind of time change. I was, or maybe it, she's just that good. She knows the that, exact value of diamonds. That, she's counting them as they're spilling out. That sure looks like 60 million. Yeah. She's just rain man with diamonds. <laughs> and, uh, 
and uh, but I still think it would have made a lot more sense for MacGyver to just put everything into one bag and drop it. Yeah, just <laughs> and drop it would just it be down. in the grass, and then she'd just pick it up and throw it in the car, and I mean, that would have been the end of it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you run the risk of the bag kind of exploding on the ground, but he could have wrapped it up in those couch yeah. cushions. And you don't, or... like you said, you don't know what the inside of this rain gutter looks like. These, these, yeah. All these diamonds could get stuck in there, and then you're just screwed. You just have to disassemble it from the building. Or, or you end up in, like, a blue streak situation where you have to come back to the casino <laughs> yeah, decades later, later and break the this ring gutter off the side um before it turns into a police station <laughs> um yeah so but and we think that she's loading all this stuff up into the car that she's going to drive away no, but she actually yeah. gets into a different car and is immediately because at this point catlin i don't know how but he suspects her because he grabs one of the security guards and says, like, hey did you see a brunette over by the slot machine. And, of course, the security guards are paying more attention to the, the attractive brands. women yeah. that are sitting at the games than the riot going on in the background. Yeah. So he knows exactly who he's, who he's talking about and when she left, which is very recently she mm-hmm. ran out of the casino. Um, and which a of, lot of people were. Yeah. It's a riot going on. But she's the only one who went in that particular direction. Yeah. And so he kind of sends sends Catelyn after her with some of his, his I really guards. want to ask that girl out on a date. Yeah. <laughs> I really want her to enjoy the champagne with me. Um so then uh, as soon as they get outside, she's kind of skittering around the parking lot trying to get out, and they yeah. block her in with the car. Mm-hmm. And so she's she's caught. But MacGyver doesn't see any of this happen because he immediately comes out at the, around, around the same time. He gets into the red car with the diamonds and drives off. Right. Um, and so he heads back to the hotel room. Um, it's like a it's – like I think it's, it's a house, but it could be like a bungalow. Like a, Either way, like it's a nicer than where Catelyn's staying. Yeah, and that's Chris Rhodes' place. It's, it's more, it's more private and, yeah. and larger. Yeah, and he doesn't have to sleep in a vault. Um, but so he gets, he does have to sleep on the couch though. This is not. There's no uh, confusing this for a romantic interlude between the two. She does, yeah. she does uh, reach for his hand at one point before this, this whole plan goes down, and he kind of doesn't return it at all. He just yeah. kind of looks at her hand like, "What are you doing?" And then she pulls it back and is kind of embarrassed, and that's the end of it. Yeah. Um. So I think it seemed like they were trying to make it clear that this was not a relationship. Um, it's a working that, relationship. At least at the point. Um, so he probably got back to her room, and she wasn't there. Because he said he was going to follow her out. Well, they were going to split up. They, were, they The plan was to split up. Oh, okay. That's why he didn't didn't think anything was wrong with her not being there. Right. So, so, but, so now he's back at her place. The phone rings. Yeah, and Catelyn. Or, well, she's on the other she's line. She's on the line, yeah. And, and her... Her first line, which I, I assume Catelyn told her, tell him the situation, we have you, you need to bring the diamonds or we're going to kill you. And instead she says, um, don't do don't listen to him, don't do what he says. Yeah. And then uh, Catelyn takes over and, and basically says what he wanted her to say. We, we need the diamonds back, you can have the girl back, mm-hmm. we'll meet you here tomorrow. Um, which, it seems like what she's doing is selfless. Yeah. But she told them the number to call and where he was staying. Yeah. So she's really guilting him into saving her by calling. Because yeah. if she really didn't, if she if she cared more about the diamonds getting returned than getting saved, then she would have said, my name is so-and-so, and, mm. I've, and I'm I staying no here, and I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, I did this all my own. Diamonds. And if I had the diamonds, wouldn't they be in my car somewhere? Um, but she doesn't do any of that. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so then uh, next morning, uh, MacGyver sets about yeah. following their demands. He brings the car with the diamonds in yeah. the trunk still. And, uh, yeah, Tiffany, uh, Catelyn's henchwoman, pulls a gun on him and says, okay, just 
tells him basically tells him where to drive from there. Yeah, and uh, it's back to the airport where it all began. Right, um, the airport that we we already understand that Catelyn basically has control over, mm-hmm. um, and that he could kill people here if he wanted to. So there's yeah, already exactly. that problem. Um, he doesn't for some reason. No, this, yeah, this he, time the diamonds aren't worth killing people. And, and in fact, he loads them up onto a car. Yeah, in the car into the plane. Which I'm only guessing he did that because he, he had told Tiffany the day before or the couple days before now that we need to get out of here and we need clearances and passports and stuff to get out. Yeah. And I'm assuming that, that he didn't, have, just time didn't to, have time. Yeah, didn't have time to repackage the diamonds, just bring the whole car. So they just pull the car into the back of this cargo plane. Yeah. And it looks like that's what they brought um they brought Sims in on. Yeah, exactly. The same plane. Um, yeah. Um so they they put the car in the back, and they have uh, MacGyver and Chris are are in the back with the car. Um, is the is the back of the cargo plane open this whole time? It I don't think it is open the whole time, but it's not pressurized. Right. So you know they uh, they're in the back. Catelyn says to get into the cockpit. Then MacGyver says, "Oh, do you still have that ring?" And she's all, "Yeah." It's like, "Well, use it." And so she she gives them a big old palm swipe across the face, which cuts them and. Is distracted enough where MacGyver can push him into the cockpit, and then they they put a piece of metal across yeah, the, the door. In, they jam the door. In Rod, we trust. Yeah. Um, and Catelyn says, take him up to 30,000 feet, which I don't know if a plane like that could go to 30,000. Right. That's but really it, high. And he, he gives his sort of – he gives his pilot sort of a tap on the shoulder. Like, hey, take it up to 30,000 feet. That ought to kill him. <laughs> and and without even mentioning anything, he's just like, yep, yeah, we got it. Like yeah. standard, standard standard issue. Standard procedure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they they take the plane up as high as they can go. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, presumably while, as high as they can go. I can't imagine they can go beyond 30,000. Yeah. That's very really least. high. Um so MacGyver all this time, you know, they're gonna they're on under a clock. He starts strapping uh, what parachutes he can find to the to, car. To the car, which it looks like he's strapping multiple, but it ends up only being one. Uh, so I'm not quite sure. You know, maybe because it is a, maybe it is a cargo uh, parachute. Yeah. So it had a lot of well, a lot if of there were multiple, I would have put them on. Wouldn't it? Shouldn't one go on MacGyver and one go on Chris, and they just push the car out, or they throw the diamonds out? Yeah, it's like uh, again, this is a, a die another day. Did this late, much later? Sure, yeah. Diamonds in the car, and they drive them off. But I think, oh, they were in a helicopter, right? Which was even sillier because the the plane was loaded with cars and a helicopter. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they. Uh, oh God, I'd just be so worried about that trunk. Like opening and well, no, because they're going to be in free fall. First of all, those diamonds are going to be like, like rolling just around roll, yeah, all, just, all just over a the big place. Rock um, but they they drive off. Um, but then you, you said that it's, this is a commercial. Um, well, before that, I, I wanted to mention um, they are in the back of this thing, and and at this point, uh, Vernon Wells um, as as Catelyn is sort of tapping the pilot on on the shoulder and saying they should be getting pretty docile now like i guess they're getting up pretty high mm-hmm. but we're giving no indication that they're having any trouble devising yeah. this plan like they seem like they're doing fine i i think i feel like someone should have been like act woozy <laughs> while you're putting this plan together <laughs> yeah like because yeah. you guys are supposed to be at a super high elevation and like on the verge of death mm-hmm. and you guys are both like okay well now let's put this here and let's put this here but yeah we see this shot of the car um come rolling out of the back of the plane and uh this was actually a a commercial a car commercial from the 80s mm. um 
that had done this stunt previously. But if you were watching the episode and you thought, there's no way they could drive a car out of the back of a plane. No, they could because they did. <laughs> they did do and it. And <laughs> there's a guy sitting in the driver's seat of that car. So even though it, it does do a bit of a backflip the second it gets out of the plane. Yeah. Um, Which is which is natural. Yeah, I mean, that, but that... the centrifugal force would hold the person into the car. And it's not clear that they're not wearing seatbelts. I mean, we don't see a seatbelt over the shoulder, but they could have something across their lap. I'm sure they had some kind of safety harness. And I'm sure the actual driver from the commercial had his own parachute if he needed to bail oh, on that yeah, car. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he did, yeah. Um, but, because uh, actually, I was reading up about that, and uh, I think the car, first car did, they did, did crash. Oh, the, that drove out of the back? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And they, did, did, they had to do it twice. The parachute didn't stick? Um, but you can see another jumper come out with the car. Presumably a cameraman that's yeah. trying to record it for the commercial. And I think when the when the parachute actually deploys, you can see a hang glider flying yeah. around. And so I'm wondering if that was another person trying to to come around sure. and get, get shots of what they could. Yeah. So that's basically that's how they decided what car they would use for this episode was they had footage of a car driving out at the back of a plane with a parachute. And they wrote a large portion of this episode around using that, that yeah. bit of stock footage. So again, very thief of Budapest with the mini Coopers, like right. setting up the Reusing mini Coopers. the same cars from, yeah. from uh, a previously released um, material. Um, and you can actually, uh, I'll, I'll post a link to, there was a uh, documentary. It's available on YouTube of like the world's most amazing stunts. And it's one of the last ones they show. It's right mm. before the credits start rolling. Um, but you can see a little bit more footage from from this particular stuff, commercial. like before what they what they cut in and after, um, and some of the other angles on the car. What was the commercial supposed to to to, sh- to show? Just to be I a know. spectacle. I feel like I've seen that. Th- this commercial was in the UK, but I, f- I feel like I've seen an an American redo of that commercial yeah. where they dropped a car out of a out of a plane, and it's just like, look how durable our car is. You could drive it out of a plane. Mm. But um, but clearly, when when the plane when the car is parachuting, they're not over the Virgin Islands. Yeah, it looks like they're they're yeah. landing in like farmland somewhere. Yeah. All of the Virgin Islands combined probably wouldn't fit in that horizon space. Yeah, St. Thomas is not that big. Unless this plane is so fast that they were already over the continental U.S. Yeah, but that's which, not the case. Which is not where they would go. Yeah, <laughs> they 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 want to get away from there. Yeah, they're trying to leave, so they they would be. At best, over the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, somewhere. I mean, you could, yes, you could argue they'd be over Puerto Rico, because Puerto Rico oh, yeah, maybe they is went to pretty South close. America, but potentially. Uh, another U.S. territory, so really not yeah. all that great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they they drive the the plane out or the car out of the plane. Mm. They're parachuting down. I think slowly enough that the plane could loop around and meet them on the ground. Yeah, as I mean, as they uh, touch if, you, down. if you um, uh, I don't know if how well you remember the movie Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Caan. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, when because he jumps out of the the plane with the parachute and then James Caan says, "Bring the plane around," and hit him. So MacGyver, uh, Schwarzenegger is forced to detach. From main, his parachute? From his main chute and use the auxiliary chute. Oh, interesting. Um, so I was like, yeah, if I was Catlin, I'd, I'd bring that plane around and at least try to like hit the parachute in some kind of way with the wing. I mean, you, you run the risk of killing yourself, but you can't – they're just letting him go. Like yeah, they, I mean, they, they could bring the plane around and just sit there on the ground and wait for the car to just float down in front exactly. of them. And then just point their guns and be like, all right, back into the car. Yeah, because there's no <laughs> cut, one pursuing. Cut this parachute off and you're, we're taking off again. Yeah, there's no one pursuing Catlin. There's not like they, they have all the time that they and they want. And they could take the plane off from this area that we see below the plane. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's all flat lands. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, so we we go close up on the on the car. Um, and we have uh, MacGyver in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. and he sort of turns to Chris and says, "All right, you can you can get up now. We're safe." 
uh, which I don't know how he determined that. It still seems like yeah, there's a right. dangerous road ahead. Yeah, and, and if they were really over the Virgin Islands and they drift out to sea, the car's going to sink. Yeah. And all those diamonds are going to be lost in the yeah. ocean. Which would have been another like perfect James Bond reference of like him and the girl in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> well, what should we do now? Um, he is kind of almost wearing a Thunderball-style helmet, too. Yeah. Um, and uh, they share, they do share a passionate kiss. Yeah, this is end. where they they finally give up on having them be resist each other, and uh, and it's also one of those like, oh, we almost died, let's make out. So, um, but yeah, so they kiss as the car's spinning around, and uh, that's that's the close of the episode. Yeah, that's it. Um, I think this is so far and probably for the first season my favorite episode for it, the season. It's a good episode. I don't understand. I really don't understand this Alan Smithy business. Yeah. Uh, and I, that, that happened with probably my second favorite episode too, which is the first one. I feel yeah. like they're both really solid episodes with that are jam packed with MacGyverisms. Mm-hmm. Like they have, you know, a couple per scene. It seems like they're they're all over the place. Also, I thought I should mention after our pilot episode was released, we got a comment from listener Blaine Dowler um, about the Alan Smithy uh, comments that we had made. Okay, um, and he basically uh, thought it it would be good for us to specify, and and I agree. That uh, And I'll just quote him word for word here. Um, it's not just a matter of disliking the finished product, although that's common. In order to use a pseudonym, a director must demonstrate clearly to the DGA, the Director's Guild of America, that the finished product was significantly different from the director's vision. In other words, you can produce a steaming pile of garbage, but if it's your steaming pile of garbage, you're stuck with it. As is the case the next time this comes up, and I think here he's referring to the heist, it could be a truly great product, but if it's not your truly great product, you can have your name taken off of it. So I thought that was an important clarification to make. Absolutely. But yeah, it's definitely a solid episode. Yeah, thoroughly entertaining. Um, and obviously, I mean, Vernon Wells is great. Mm-hmm. Um, he does an oh. amazing job. Yeah, Vernon Wells is, is 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 just amazing in general. Yeah, um, Vernon Wells, who you, you might recognize from uh, The Road Warrior. He's the bad guy in there, Wes. And mm. uh, he's also uh, he's uh, Bennett from Commando. Yeah. He's also one of the uh, motorcycle gang in uh, Weird Science. Yeah, well, he is his role it's the, it's the Road, Warrior, Road character Warrior character again. Um, uh, but yeah. And then, uh, you know, he I guess he had a big stint on uh, one of the Power Rangers. Right. Uh, Rancic. And there was another one. Oh, Inner Space. Yeah, Inner Space. is Mr. Igo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's such a great... Because, uh, like, a lot of his, a lot of his stuff is he seems very beard-heavy with the exception of, like, Road Warrior. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Igo, like, he's, like, he's silent. He's silent throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So you were lucky enough to actually uh, get a chance to speak with Mr. Vernon Wells, Catlin himself, on the telephone uh, for an interview. Yeah. And on that note, I'd like to extend a warm Phoenix Foundation welcome to Mr. Jack Catlin himself, Vernon Wells. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. My pleasure. Um, You actually appeared in two separate episodes of MacGyver, uh, one in 1985 and one in 1988. Yes. I wondered if you recalled uh, the atmosphere on set. Uh, the atmosphere on set was great. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I had a ball on both of them, especially with Ricky Dean. Um, we just, you know, we clicked and, and got along really well. And uh, with all the other people that were in the cast, I, I just uh, had so much fun doing it. And it was just a real easy, easy set. You know, some sets are a little bit, when you come in as a co-star, you know, for an episode... It's it's kind of a little bit uh, the the because the cast has been together for three four years or whatever they're very uh, clicky and you you kind of feel like you're you're not one of the the group but with them 
everybody was open season on everybody. Um, your first MacGyver episode, uh, The Heist, was yep. pretty dense with James Bond references, and you end up playing the de facto Bond villain for that episode. Um, yeah. What would you say informed your portrayal of casino owner Catlin? Um, you know what? I didn't try to be a James Bondy type. Um, really, all I did was I, I did it the way they saw it, and it just worked out that way because I guess my look and um, and the way they, they you know the costume I wore, like the suits and things, that he just became very James Bondy. And so we just ran with it, and it seemed to work. The credited director for that first episode, The Heist, was Alan Smithy, which is um, yep. a pseudonym. A pseudonym. Um, I've seen online that Lee Katzen was credited as a director, but I was curious if you knew who actually directed that first episode. Uh, no, I can't. Re- to be honest with you, I can't remember. I, I thought it was Lee, too. When MacGyver first meets your character, Catelyn, you're doing some yep. sparring with quarterstaffs outside the casino. I was just curious if you did all your own stunts. I, I did um, probably most of them. Um, I'm pretty physical, so you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff they usually let me do. And I'm one of those actors that always goes, well, you know, I kind of want to do it because I kind of know how the character is going to do it. And, you know, trying to explain it to someone else might not work. You know, I get all that, that. Well, I don't anymore, by the way. It's, it's one of those funny things where you're like, well, the, the stunt guys could never do it the way I do it. And then you break your arm or you fracture <laughs> a, a finger and you go, you know, those stunts guys, they're really good. <laughs> sure. So it was one of those things. But I, I love doing all that stuff, you know, inspiring and having fun. It's kind of um, me. Were there any particularly memorable moments on set? Yeah. Um, you know what? I, I think to, for me, I think the whole thing was, was just um, uh, something that I enjoyed. Sure. And, and, and for me, that, that makes it memorable. You know, if I can walk onto a set, um, do my job, do it well if I'm lucky, and have fun with the cast and crew and director and people. Um, I am really, really happy. And I mean, I must have done something right because they asked me back to do another one. Well, yeah, that, uh, that uh, kind of leads me into my next question. Um, in, in your second appearance, which was uh, season three, episode 14, The Odd Triple, you ended up playing Paul Donay. Um, uh-huh. how, did that, how did that come about that you ended up playing a, a second character on the same show? You know what? I think a lot of it was probably... Uh, Ricky, because uh, Richard and I got along famously. We live kind of in the same area. Okay. And, um, uh, you know, we, we ran into each other a couple of times, like at the supermarket, things like that. And and it was just um, uh, a really nice relationship between us. And I think it might have been Richard that wanted me to come back and do another one because he said to me when we were doing uh, the first episode, he said, you know, well, we're going to have to have you back. And... Um, Lo and behold, they asked me to come back and do another one, which really blew me away. And and I was always told that the, those two episodes were two of the most replayed and requested episodes. So, I, I mean, that, that kind of made me feel good, too, that we were able to do something that that uh, the people that watch that particular show really enjoyed. Sure. Well, I mean, I know The Heist is definitely my my absolute favorite of the first season. Is it's It has to be the strongest. Yeah, it was it was fun. I mean, I I kind of put 150 percent into whatever I'm doing, and I, I and you can usually see when I'm having fun. Sure, it kind of comes out in the character, comes out in the way I work, 
And uh, working with them, I, I was, um, you know, having a lot of fun. I mean, there's a funny little story about Richard and myself. I was in the supermarket one night and uh, was pouring with rain. And uh, I was just getting ready to leave. I was with my wife and Richard uh, came in through the door. And I said, oh, there's Ricky Dean. I'll go over and say hi. And my wife went, don't you do that. He won't remember you. I mean, good God, you were just a, a, a co-star on an episode, you know. Don't embarrass me. And I was like. Um, I think you'll probably remember me, sweetie. So she just sort of, she said, well, I'm not going to stand here and be embarrassed. And she walked <laughs> out the door. And I walked out and said, Reggie. And he turned around and he said, and, you know, big cuddle. Hello, how are you? You know, what's happening? I said, you know, da-da-da. And I said, you know, my wife was just here a minute ago, but she thought she'd never remember me, so she's gone. <laughs> and as I was saying that, this little bedraggled figure came through the door, soaked to the skin because, of course, it was raining and I had the car keys. <laughs> and she just sort of stood there and I said, I, Turned to, uh, Richard turned to me and he went, this must be your wife. And I went, yep. And he said, hi, I'm Richard Dean Anderson. And he gave her a big hug. And it was just so glorious. <laughs> I was awesome. like, God, I wish I had a camera. <laughs> it was one of those wonderful little moments in your life where uh, it all comes together. And uh, when, when they ended up bringing you back on the show, it, actually both of these characters were kind of murderous diamond smuggler characters. Why do you think you're always picked for the bad guy? Um, I think it goes back to the fact that I did a couple of iconic films like Road Warrior and then after that Commando. Yeah. Um, it was kind of the way people looked at it. And I think the other thing, without kind of being stupid, the other thing that kind of worked in my favor was that I'm not an ugly person, that I'm reasonably good looking. And yeah. to have a reasonably good looking villain always makes it more real. Sure. Because it's one of those things where you think, oh, I'd go out with him. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I think that works in your favor. Um, and I think that's a lot of why I kept getting asked to do the villain parts was because people liked to see me do it because you would expect me to be playing like the friend of the hero sort of thing. Sure. N not not the guy that's trying to carve the hero a new butthole. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it was kind of... Um, it's kind of fun, and you know, I always uh, love the fact that I can get things um, by that. And um, you know, I, I enjoy whatever I do. Nowadays, I do as many um, good guys as I do bad guys. So, but every so often, they come along and they just sort of go, "Hey, we got this part. That's this guy that's that's killing the neighbor's dog and raping their grandmother." You know, <laughs> what do you think? Sort of thing. So it's like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I still get the, the, the both sides of the, of the line. And, and I think with villains, it's much more fun because there's no, there's no parameters on a villain. He's just kind of a villain. Yeah. But with the, um, you know, with your hero, he kind of has to, to work within parameters, you know, he can't sort of step outside those lines. Um, so he's kind of, he has to do everything carefully, whereas yeah. the villain, he, don't, he can do any damn thing. It doesn't matter. He's the villain. <laughs> and so it's a little more fun at times playing that character. Would, would you say uh, the villain is usually a more physically demanding role? or um, Usually you get a lot more physical with the villain. You get to do a lot more. But then again, depending on what the, uh, the good guy is or the hero, sometimes they're amazingly uh, physical roles. I mean, sure. the only three times I've really been hurt on a set was playing... Uh, the good guy, um, because it was just so um, 
demanding, you know, like so physical. There were things that I was doing, and you didn't have any margin for error. Sure. Um, but usually, you know, when you're playing um, the villain, you, it's physical, but you're usually, you know, they, they don't like to put the, um, the, uh, the, the lead in front of someone like me in case I cut their head off or something. <laughs> so they'll, they'll stick a, a, a stunt guy in. So you're usually, usually working with stunt guys. Yeah, in a lot of the stuff, so you can you can you know you can have a, a lot of back and forth kind of fun. Whereas with maybe with uh, unless he's a physical actor, and there are some physical actors, take my word for it. Yeah, um, you uh, you don't tend to be able to do that because they sort of back off a little bit because they're a little um, uncomfortable. So um, I think it's sometimes it's kind of fun um, being able to do that. Uh, with the, the stunt guy, so that as the physical villain, you can really get into it. But I've been with a couple of um, physical uh, heroes that have kind of busted things on my body. Sure. So, you know, um, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, you you know, you have to kind of, no matter what you're playing, you have to be careful. It's As I always keep saying to people, it's acting, for goodness sake. Yeah. Because people will walk up to me and they say, "Oh, I saw you in this movie, and you did this, that, and that. That is so cool, man! You know, do you, you know, do you really do that?" And it's like, um, "No, <laughs> not, not really. No, that's just acting." In your experience working on on the U.S. side and in Australian films, was there much of a, a difference in the productions? You know, that's a that's a, a great question because when I first came over here, I I only done Road Warrior and, and television. Road Warrior was my first movie, sure. uh, big movie. So, um, And Road Warrior was done on, on like a shoestring budget in comparison to what they would spend today. So it was, it was like a, a small budget film. And we got out there and we did everything. Yeah. And the crew was in, the, every, the actors were involved. Everybody was involved to get this film made. Um, so it was like a big family and we all... You know, we all got in there and did it. And it was great. I mean, it really was. We were all there for the same reason. We were there to make this movie. Nobody was there because they were making a million dollars. When I first came to the States and walked onto the set of Weird Science, they had a house inside the studio (laughs) that was in three pieces that they could maneuver so they could shoot in it. And I just stood there and looked at it and thought, that's probably... Uh, ten times our budget right sure. there for, yeah. for, for Road Warrior. That was the difference I found was that the money side of it, you know, they had much more money to do things, uh, whereas coming from the other side of it, we had to come up with ways of doing it in camera. Yeah. Which I kind of liked, to be honest with you. Sure. It was fun. You know, it was like you had to use your brain. The director had to be always on top of things. Yeah. Whereas when you've got a lot of money, it's like, yeah, well... Don't worry about it. We'll fix it in post. We'll use a computer. <laughs> um, you know, that, that side of it is, is probably the bit that, that I kind of go, because uh, I, I think I'm still a throwback. Like if, if we were talking about the, uh, the evolution of mankind, I'd still be a caveman in <laughs> the, um, the acting world because I, I still like that kind of raw um, get out there and do it and make it work feel rather than uh, we'll do all this in front of a green screen and put you in a suit and put all these little things all over your body and it'll all be done by a computer and it'll look wonderful. Yeah. 
I mean, it has its place. Don't get me wrong; it has its place. There, there are films that that are just amazing, done with you know Avatar, things like that, which are just amazing. Um, and that that it has its place, and that's where we've kind of um, progressed to. Actually, on that note, uh, have you seen the new trailer for the Mad Max Fury Road? Uh, yes, I have, and I it was funny because when I first looked at it, I went. Hmm, that looks a lot like Road Warrior, the very opening with the car and with Tom standing and then walking across, yeah. you know, and then jumping in the car and screaming off down the hill. That's very Road Warrior-ish. And the whole thing now is it, it, and it, he's gone back to his roots. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and they've got Hugh Key Burns from the original Mad Max in there. You, you've, you've got everything you need to make this an amazing film. Yeah, I think that's that's my most highly anticipated upcoming feature. That that looks yep. really great. Yep, and uh, I I'm so it's it's so funny as every time I I talk to people they go so why weren't you in it? It's like well, you know George Miller created this character called Wes, which really got to be just a little out of control. <laughs> so you could not put him in a movie and not have people go oh my god Wes is back. Yeah. Especially that kind of movie, you know, sure. it, it just wouldn't work. And then you're taking away from what he's trying to do, and I would never do that. I, you know, I have too much respect for him. Um, is there anything that you're working on now that that you would like to discuss with us? Yeah, there's uh, quite a few things actually sure. that I'm working on. Um, I have a uh, a couple of um, product uh, uh, projects, sorry, that are coming up. I've got. One that I will be directing, which is called uh, The Promise, which is a vampire movie, um, which I have quite a few of my closest and most beloved actor friends um, have all said they want to be in it for me. And there's another one that's called um, Less Than Human, which is a much bigger project, which I'm involved with, which uh, they're doing, we're doing all the funding at the moment, which could be loads of fun. And I did a a movie um, a year and a half ago, which was called Throwback, which is an Australian film, a, a little uh, horror film, uh, which has got wonderful, wonderful reviews. And um, they've just written, the, the producer and director, writer, have just written a new script called uh, Star Spawn, which is just wonderful, uh, which they want me to do. So I'll probably be um, uh, throwing that in as well. So, you know, next year could be a fun year for me. Yeah. There's quite a few projects on the horizon. I, I look at it logically and go, you know, I have no idea why people keep hiring me, but they do, so God damn it, I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> well, I understand why they keep hiring you. <laughs> well, I've got a couple of TV projects, too, on the way. Sure. What 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 kind of TV stuff? Well, I do um, a web series called uh, Western X, okay. which is just amazing. It's just such a, an amazing show to do. Um, which goes into its second season, I believe, next year. And um, there's a couple of other series which I can just say that I'm... Um, there's one called Hennessy, which I will probably be doing for Netflix. Okay. And there's uh, another one which is a, um, a vampire... Um, that it's kind of similar to... Uh, um, oh, gosh, my mind has, has frozen on me. The vampire killer... Um, Van Helsing or Van Helsing, yeah, it's kind of a Van Helsing modern Van Helsing character, okay. uh, a, a guy whose family are butchered by um, a fan, uh, you know a, a coven of vampires, and he sets out his quest is to destroy them, to hunt them down. Very cool. 
and uh, there's that one which I believe could go ahead, and um, there's another one called uh, After the Harvest, which is sort of a horror action movie, similar to its name. It's uh, the the punchline to it is um, ten thousand years ago they came to Earth and planted the seeds, then they came back, reaped the harvest, <laughs> and those that are left must fight to survive. So that's kind of the the thing for um, the series. That sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's like, you know, all these things are in the melting pot, and it's like always, you know, if it comes, it will be amazing. If it doesn't, I'm sure that something else will come along. And, you know, I'd love to do stuff like like MacGyver, because that that was fun. You know, that was kind of fun doing that. It was lighthearted in its own way. It was never serious, serious with people being blown up and things like that it was you know and you really got to participate with the whole gang in your second episode i mean you had dana elkar and bruce mcgill in there yep 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 and it was just fun um and and those things i like you know i like doing them because and working with great people as i said i'd work with ricky dean if he rang me tomorrow and said you know i'm digging ditches and we're going to film it i'd be the guy down there with his shovel <laughs> So, uh, you know, there's certain people you like, certain people you enjoy working with, and uh, you just, you know, you carry that on. And I I can honestly say that in all the films I've done, I've really never worked with anybody I wouldn't work with again. Um, I've been incredibly fortunate with directors, producers, and cast and crews that that I've just had um, really top-notch people to work with who are just really cool and you know just make it a pleasure yeah and i think that's all you can ask for you know this this is a hard business that people don't understand being an actor anyway and being able to work with nice people just is that little icing on the cake as they say well i think that about wraps up the interview um i just wanted to thank you again for for sharing your time with us today no my pleasure i mean you know i i just love the fact that people still want to talk to me absolutely thank you so much thank you my friend That was really great. I mean, because obviously Vernon Wells is such an iconic person as far as like things from Mad Max, The Road Warrior. That's such a famous movie and such a famous character. That and Commando, I think, are mm-hmm. probably the two biggest things that he gets asked about. Because those are those are man movies, you know, yeah, and yeah. like so, like you know, guys growing up, it's like, oh yeah, thinking about those characters. And I always loved his appearance in Weird Science. Yeah. Because because you know, I was when I saw Weird Science, I was you know. I was too young to really understand a lot of what was going on in that movie at the time, but I definitely recognized him from Road Warrior. Yeah. And I was pretty certain, even as a kid, that that was the same guy. And I, and I just remember now growing up that it's so fantastic that he got to come back. Yeah. And his description of that, the whole set being the budget of the movie. Yeah, and is, it probably was. Yeah. I mean... It was just cars that they built up and drove around in the built, desert. Built out of junk. I yeah. mean, they, they, they stripped down cars and probably just put the pieces back on wrong. They just, just MacGyvered to... that stuff. Yeah, they did. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, that was a really fantastic for him to have joined us. Uh, I, I, if you're listening, Mr. Wells, really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks again for uh, for stopping by the show. And plus, like, you know, his, his upcoming projects, uh, also very fascinating. Yeah, I mean, he's see. always he's, working, and yeah. he's always working on a lot of stuff. You pull up his IMDb page, he's got... 20 things in production right now and something that he's directing that's that's even more fantastic i can't wait to see something like that very nice guy um so i think yeah that about wraps it up for this episode Mm -hmm. um 
So thank you again for listening. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast. And of course, we can always be reached on our website at phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. Also, if you're enjoying the show, feel free to review us on iTunes. Um, And be sure to tune in next week when we're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 6, Trumbo's World. Yeah, I like this episode too. Yeah, it's a good one. Killer ants. (laughs) Get ready. Get ready for the killer ants. All right. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.